It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You're listening to a special presentation of Locked On Presents, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Locked On Presents. I am joined by a few hosts from Locked On NHL, and we are here to talk uh, roundtable style about hockey's toxic culture. My name is Erica Lindsay Ayala. I am the host of Locked On Kraken. I am joined uh, by Anne Kimmel from Locked On Predators, Jay Foster from Locked On Blue Jackets, and Rachel Donner from Locked on flyers. We are going to talk about a pretty heavy topic. Wanted to start off just first seeing how everyone's doing, doing a check-in. But Rachel, you are going to take us through a timeline of events. We are going to be talking just a trigger warning about the events happening around the Chicago Blackhawks organization in particular. So Rachel Donner of Locked on Flyers going to have you get us started. Sure. So in May, a former NHL player who was then known as John Doe One, we now know is Kyle Beach, uh, he sued the Blackhawks for negligence related to incidents where he claims he was sexually assaulted by a video coach for the team at the time, Brad Aldrich. And uh, he... Uh, Kyle said it was a non-consensual circumstance and Aldrich denies that to this day. Then in June, a person who was a high school student at the time in 2010 uh, sued the Blackhawks related to Brad Aldrich because he was assaulted by Brad Aldrich later on and Aldrich had gotten the job through indirectly through a recommendation that the Blackhawks had written for him. Later in June, according to TSN and confirmed by then Blackhawks skills coach Paul Vincent, uh, it was confirmed that a meeting had in fact taken place after Kyle Beach had reported the incident. Uh, That included Paul Vincent, then GM Stan Bowman, team president John McDonough, VP of Hockey Operations Al McIsaac, uh, Kevin Dayoff and mental skills coach uh, as well to discuss the allegations. It was in the midst of the playoffs and that Paul Vincent had suggested that they go to the police at the time. And that was not followed up on the team was pressured into conducting an independent investigation after their quote unquote internal investigation <laughs> turned up no wrongdoing as is the case often with internal investigations. And then the results of that investigation by an external law firm were released in the last week of October of this year that basically implicated everybody in that group meeting saying that they ultimately decided that the playoffs were more important than dealing with this incident in the moment and that they would kind of table it until after everything was over But then they basically didn't do anything and they let Aldrich walk away and his name was etched on the Stanley Cup. And it just it was looking real bad for the people in that meeting. Um, And then sort of as a result, after the report came out, there were some resignations that came from it. So Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac were kind of forced out with the Blackhawks. And then uh, Joel Quenville, who was also in that meeting and was the coach of the Blackhawks at the time, uh, was forced to resign as head coach of the Florida Panthers. I mean, that's a lot. Um, So many things, Uh, you know, just so many opportunities, it would appear even just from that timeline to get to the bottom of what was happening. And unfortunately, that really didn't happen. And you mentioned the report 
Um, you know, and I just want to make sure everyone knows what we're talking about, but Jenner and Block put out a report in October of this year, the report to the Chicago Blackhawks hockey team regarding the organization's response to allegations of sexual misconduct by a former coach. And as you mentioned, John Doe one, we should say, um, is, is now we know Kyle beach, but there is also much younger John Doe, whose mother has been outspoken in the media, who also um, had been abused and assaulted um, and uh, by Brad Aldridge. Um, and so, and I wanted to have you chime in for a moment here, because I know that in some of the conversations that we as hosts of, uh, as part of the Locked On Network have had, we've all shared our different experiences and reactions to what was happening. But you shared and opened up that you're a mother. And so hearing John Doe too and uh, his mother speak out um, and some of the things that the family overall has been dealing with seem to resonate with you. And so it, if you could just maybe share some of that perspective with us and, and for listeners. Sure. Um this has been a very difficult story on a number of levels for me personally. Um, they did, uh, there was an interview with Rick Westhead with John Doe mother and um, listening to that interview, she shared from her perspective what the experience was like watching her son um, go through this experience and him coming forward and the after effects of this experience. Um, I'm a mom of three. I have two boys that are 19 and 17. So right around this boy's age. And I really struggled uh, watching that video because there is nothing that you won't do for your children. And as moms, we try to set everything up in our life to protect them and to keep them safe. And we work hard to build trust with people um, and he, this young man went to a party that ended up not having parental supervision where the assault took place. And it's heartbreaking because as a parent, you want to do everything you can to protect your child and to see them hurt is awful. And then to have to watch them walk through the trauma of an assault like this, um, you know, that mom is never going to be the same, nor is the victim. Uh, so it's been really difficult for me as a parent to hear this story and to realize that there were many opportunities for that young man's safety to be procured had people been proactive and responsible earlier in situations that were had obvious red flags. And that's what makes this conversation so difficult in a lot of ways. Again, not just the timeline with Chicago, but then that Aldridge was uh, left that team and was able to be in a situation where he had um, interaction with John Doe too. And so the responsibility overall um, is something that I have lots of questions about, including how the NHL the Chicago Blackhawks, not just in what was reported and what Rachel ran through, but also since, since the report in October that we have hit on. And so Jay, I wanted to have you chime in and have the, open up this part of the conversation. So in the report, there were a lot of different ways that the Chicago Blackhawks could have and should have intervened here, but we're, we're also now left to question where was the NHL in all of this? And since the report um, and since some of the reporting on the report, we have seen Gary Bettman not only hold a press conference, but even uh, as we're recording this, the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony just happened. And Gary Bettman publicly again made uh, some comments. So Jay, can you keep us or, or uh, just kind of bring us up to date on how the NHL has responded, and then what are your thoughts about the NHL's responses? Yeah, to begin with, I so the Blackhawks were fined $2 million. Uh, obviously, Bowman, uh, McIsaac, and uh, Quenville ended up losing their jobs over it. Um, I disagree with the fact that they were allowed to resign, but I kind of understand... Why? Because um, I talked to Sarah Avampato, host of Locked on Kings. She does workplace investigations for her day job. 
and talked about she talked a little bit about you know uh, in contracts like that she would put money on there being you know some kind of clause that says if you fire me you owe me the rest of the money or you owe me a payout or whatever so by allowing them to resign the team doesn't have to pay them anymore um so all of that kind of came out i was surprised that we got that much Frankly, I was expecting, you know, oh, well, it was 10 years ago and clearly they're different people, so they should get to keep their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then kind of on the on the back of that, uh, Batman did a kind of press conference slash uh, media availability um, where he talked a lot about how, you know, the Blackhawks failed both Kyle Beach and John Doe too and... Um, talked about how he supports the victims and offering, you know, like he made a blanket statement to help uh, victims of uh, sexual assault or abuse and then turned around and when he was asked, you know, are you going to pay for therapy or for health insurance for John Doe too, who is still, you know, suffering this horrific kind of psychological backlash as a result of being assaulted as a teenager, he was like, well, I would need to know more about the case. And I'm like, well, what? Like there was a hundred and seven page report. Like what more what more investigating do you really kind of have to do about this? Um and since then it's kind of come out that okay, he's the the NHL has said we're gonna leave that to the Blackhawks to decide whether or not they should pay for John Doe 2 to get uh therapy. Blackhawks have said yes, we'll pay for both him and Kyle Beach's uh therapy. Um, and, you know, we are committed to making a difference and making it better and kind of what they're saying publicly and what they're saying privately are very different. Um, so Rick Westhead, who, by the way, shout out to uh, Rick Westhead and uh, Katie Strang, both of whom have done a phenomenal job reporting on this when, you know, national media was just not paying attention. You know, it was, I think... Um, maybe three or four of the national media people even acknowledged that this was happening. You know, we got nothing, basically nothing from, you know, uh, guys like Bob McKenzie or um, Elliot Friedman said very little on the, on the fact until it all came out in this, in this report. Um, but, you know, phenomenal reporting from uh, Rick Westhead and Katie Strang and some of the Blackhawks uh, reporters as well, uh, I thought did a, did a really good job reporting on this. Um, but so uh, Rick Westhead has since come out and while the Blackhawks and the NHL are being, uh, saying, you know, we are going to support uh, Cal Beach and John Doe too and we want to make this kind of a, as amicable as possible uh, in public, in private. Uh, apparently that's not quite what's happening. They are, you know, throwing a lot of uh, debris on the track shall we say, you know, they're making it as difficult as possible. They talked about how um, if they wanted, before uh, John Doe 2 could get the the therapy, they wanted to look at his financial records and his medical records and his school records, because obviously if someone has straight A's in high school, then that clearly means that they don't deserve therapy or, you know, something along those lines. And so it's just kind of been a very one-sided uh yeah we're gonna help but actually we don't want to pay any money or acknowledge any wrongdoing um to the point where this was just recently i think yesterday uh it came out uh susan loggins who is the attorney for uh kyle beach and i believe for for john doe too uh came out and she asked gary bettman to personally mediate these talks because she felt like they were going nowhere and uh i believe as of earlier this afternoon uh slash morning for for you guys i'm a, a couple hours a couple hours ahead of the the news cycle over here um but uh, as of earlier today it was announced through an employee through an employee of the nhl that gary bettman uh quote respectfully declines uh the request to mediate these talks which kind of feels a little bit like well i've done my bit um and i think that is kind of to just kind of wrap up everything i just kind of uh, talked about the the whole thing has been just passing the buck from one person to another. Stan Bowman blamed his bosses. Joel Quenville blamed his bosses. Uh, Kevin Cheveldayoff escaped any kind of punishment or 
not like accountability because he was only the assistant GM uh, and therefore couldn't possibly have any sort of responsibility about this. Um, the Blackhawks have tried to pass the buck to the NHL. The NHL has said, well, no, it's the Blackhawks' fault. The NHLPA has kind of, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. The NHLPA was like, well, we reported it. We assumed that someone would do, someone else would do something. And that's kind of been the, the theme of this whole horrible story has been, well, we assumed someone else would say something. Yeah. And just like long, deep sigh, like to all of it. Um, it's, I almost want to use the word unbelievable, but as we're going to talk about and why we've entitled the round table as we have, like this is a, a toxic culture. And unfortunately this is the latest in a long line of things where we've seen hockey and certainly the NHL miss the opportunity at minimum, at minimum miss the opportunity to create a safe environment, a professional work environment, and to be upfront and forthright with the fact that there are people that are perpetuating a toxic culture. But one thing that I was thinking about while Jay was talking, and I want to open this up to the group is, and, and I want to be careful how I say this, um, because of why we're looking at report cards for John Doe too. But I wonder if, if y'all have any thoughts on the difference of the conversation when it was John Doe and a 107 page report versus Kyle Beach and a 107 page report. Um, is there, has there been a difference throughout the timeline that Rachel walked us through? Yeah, hundred um, percent. And this was again, um, I believe it was on the Steve Dangle podcast. Um, Request Head was on there, and he talked about how, you know, when <clears throat> excuse me, when Luke Prokop came out, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in in a minute in terms of you know hockey is for everyone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, the response was incredible, you know. Once there was a, a name to it, the NHL was all about it. And it kind of, when you look at this, when it was John Doe, no one cared. You know, no NHL players spoke out. No media seemed to really care. As soon as you put a name to the the suffering and the abuse and you put a face to it and you put Kyle Beach on national TV, you know, breaking down in tears and apologizing to this 16-year-old, which, by the way, was the most genuine apology to John Doe 2 from the person that has the least to apologize for. Um, yes. But, yeah, once you put a name to it, suddenly you've got people coming out and saying, oh, well, we support Kyle Beach. And I think that is kind of representative of how the NHL does things. It's very much, oh, well this happens to some people, not not us, but this happens to some people. And then as soon as you put a name to it, it's, oh, okay, well, we have to, we have to face this. You know, there were uh, people still playing in the NHL now who were teammates of Kyle Beach. There are people who are working in the broadcast side of things, people who are working in the media who were teammates, friends of, of Kyle Beach. And I think that's, yeah, like you say, once once the name is out there, it's it's um it's impossible for people to not talk about it um and i'm gonna let someone else talk in a minute but just kind of on the on the flip side of that now that kyle beach has been named i hear very little about john doe too and that's that's not okay because just because he doesn't want to tell the world his name doesn't mean he is less deserving of kind of the the support and the love the the majority of the hockey world has shown Kyle Beach since he kind of told his story. Yeah, I, I want to tack on to that on two of the points you were making, Jay. The first of which is sort of that 
toxic hockey culture aspect of it because I really did to your point Erica feel like there was a huge momentum shift or a paradigm shift when Kyle Beach's name came out and his interview came out that putting a human face and real human emotions on that story just really brought it to the forefront in a way that the name John Doe one and words on paper while powerful just could not do on their own. And literally everybody in hockey was talking about it at that point. And, and nobody cared about the games and nobody was focused on, Oh, just play the game. This is a side issue. Everybody was focused on Kyle and his story and what can we do to help him and support him and people who could potentially be in his position in the future. And then that in, I hesitate to use the word enthusiasm, but the focus um, definitely dropped when the interview of John Doe 2's mother came out, which to me was equally as powerful and equally as damning. But yet the focus, um, at least from, you know, my little world of hockey Twitter was, was not there in the same way. And it was, I think equally as upsetting that it wasn't there in, in two ways. Number one, the media focus where it was like all of these other media outlets had jumped on the Kyle Beach story and maybe just the usual suspects were continuing to follow the story and have continued to follow the story. It's really only a few reporters that have followed up in the, in the last couple of weeks. The other aspect of it with the toxic hockey culture is that you look at the players who were on the Blackhawks or around the Blackhawks at the time who were interviewed after Kyle Beach's interview came out, your Jonathan Taves, your Duncan Keith, other players who were there at the time, um, apologetic, you know, in terms of what Kyle Beach went through, but also defending Stan Bowman. I mean, Jonathan Taves defending Stan Bowman after that interview came out was one of the most like, egregious things of cognitive dissonance I have ever seen. And, but that's so, it it was absolutely something that you are not surprised by, given how anytime things like this come up, whether it's an issue of racism or homophobia or transphobia or something in the world of hockey, everything closes in and we protect our own and we protect the brand and we protect the logo in front and we don't care about the name on the back. And, you know, and we, we've heard again so much about um, the importance or the, I like actually how Rachel put it, the paradigm shift that happened when we had the name Kyle Beach. However, if we step even outside of sexual assault um, and abuse, in the NHL. Let's just stay in the NHL for a moment. There have been other former NHL players. Uh, there have been names attached to coaches who have perpetuated violence, actual names. And, and yet, and still here we are having conversations about another time where again, the sport was not taking care of its own, uh, a sport that prides itself on being communal because it's a sport that's up and coming and growing, certainly in the United States as comparative to Canada, uh, a sport that is all about family and, and, and whatnot, or so we're led to believe. And yet here we are in situations where we could even stay just in Chicago, right? And how Chicago, as I came into the network on the hockey side of things, Chicago opted to have a, a entire like stage full of women who apparently they just hired. I had no idea that half of those women were in the organization. Don't recall getting uh, a press release on it either, but had an entire stage of women there. Why? Because of other things that were happening in the news with that very organization. So yes, the name having Kyle Beach's name, but we've had other names, Akeem Aliou as an example. Why is it that there seems to be an excitable blip where, again, the the focus, let's say, is on the, the particular circumstance and the victims and those who have been harmed. Um, and then why do we then seem to 
just have those conversations and the concern or focus vanish. Yeah. I think there's a history. I think this is how the NHL has dealt with issues like this consistently for a very long time. And because it has happened previously where they have had issues and they have been able to sort of tap dance around them uh, and then they've sort of faded, I think that they don't know or don't care to have a better um, a better method of handling these things moving forward. And I think, like you said, this is not a one-off issue. This is not a one-time thing. I think that there are systemic issues in the NHL that have to be addressed and that have to be changed. And it's discouraging to see this momentum kind of fade away as people tend to focus back again to on-ice things because nobody on the ice is going to be protected until you handle and manage the leadership and the situations off ice. Um, and, and like you said, there is something about this NHL kind of, uh, it's a team and we have each other's backs. And that is a, a great experience in sports, but it can also be used to perpetuate behaviors and attitudes that are toxic. And I think that we have seen that time and time again and it's there has to be a point in time. There has to be a, tempi- a tipping point with the NHL, with the fans and leadership where they say, really, enough is enough. And I think what fans in finance is willing to overlook, the NHL is willing to allow. Because in the end, this Chicago Blackhawks, this specific experience is all about winning the cup over following our conscience. It's cup over conscience. And when we allow that to continue... And it has. I mean, this is not, again, this is not a one-time issue. When we allow that to continue and do not hold the NHL and its leadership accountable, this is going to perpetuate. And mm. it's difficult because there are voices in the, in the sport itself who want change as well. But I think the change has to come from the top down or the bottom up. And when you lose the momentum, they, they're off the hook. Yeah. And I want to get to that point in just a minute. And you bring up such an excellent point where where essentially does the change have to happen? Is it with one particular person? Is it with one particular, um, you know, governing body? You know, because we also, you know, we've talked about Stan Bowman a few times. Let's not forget that he's also a part of or was uh, of USA Hockey. And USA Hockey has a terrible track record, a painfully despicable track record on this particular type of harm. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to get starting to get a little upset here. I've, well, I've been upset. Listen, good reason. It's just like you know, it bubbles over when you really start it, and, and then the next thing you remember, and it, you because you you stay focused on what what we're talking about now, and Kyle Beach and his courage in coming forward, and how important that was. But shouldn't it have been important when he mentioned this the first time? That should have been enough. Why wasn't that enough? So I, I, before I completely go off, I did want to go back to Rachel. You mentioned Jonathan Taves, and I, I wanted to pull this up. I didn't have it originally, but um, and it goes also to Anne, what you were talking about, and what we were talking about about that hockey community. And I've been on the the, the loving end the of that, um, but there's also the dark side to it. And the quote, this is coming from um, the Sun-Times, Chicago Sun-Times, regardless of mistakes that they, uh, talking about the, you know, Bowman and, and, and the like, have made um, uh, someone like Stan, who has done so much for the Blackhawks, to lose everything they care about and their livelihood as well, then there's an ellipsis. Uh, I don't understand how that makes it go away to just delete them from existence and say, that's it. We'll never hear from them again. Now I'm going to be honest. There's a piece of that that I agree with. However, it's also extremely dismissive of what people who do decide to step forward. And for those who continue to keep pressure on those to, uh, to reveal their process, it is, I find that statement completely dismissive of the cost for those who who are trying to fight 
hockey culture. I find that completely dismissive. What I will say is, and the fear that I have, the biggest fear that I have is that, okay, we put a few X's through Aldridge's name on the Stanley Cup. We tossed over a $2 million fine, which we've seen bigger fines in the league. Um, We provide services this one time. And yeah, oh, by the way, we're saying that we have a hotline and we're saying that the communication is open and we're saying that the only reason that the hotline and the communication, the open communication that we had before uh, didn't work that time is because, oh, it was 10 years ago. What the heck has changed? What has changed? So yeah, you know what? Quote unquote erasing or um, removing these people Do I have faith that this is going to prevent something else from happening? I have to be honest. The answer is no. No. So it's not just enough. Yeah, I do want to, I agree with you absolutely on that point that I don't think as a general rule, it's enough and that it will do anything in terms of dealing with some of these systemic issues that we're talking about, whether it's like racism or misogyny, or things like that, that are greater societal issues that are magnified by the insular nature of the toxic hockey culture. I do want to give that hotline a little bit of credit, because some people within the Anaheim Ducks organization did use it to report, you know, an abusive situation in their management uh, related to Bob Murray, who was the GM of the team. And as a result of those reports, he was put on administrative leave and then later resigned to go into a like a 30 day program. So I, I do want to give the mechanism a little bit of credit here. And it could be that the Anaheim Ducks just wanted to get ahead of things. And, you know, given the nature of, you know, the temperature of the hockey world right now, it was in their best interest to do so, but it turned out to have a good result for the people that work for that company. So I do want to give them a little bit of credit there. That being said, I just don't see it translating to these greater societal issues uh, where there's just so much pushback from this league and and a desire to protect their own and have this continuous circle of we joke about 200 hockey men but it's based on reality that there's this group of people that get you know promoted it's like out of a need to get them out of the role that they're in you know there's a lot of failing up there's a lot of failing sideways and and that's the nature of sports because you know you can only work so long as a coach or a gm in a particular environment before your effectiveness uh depreciates so i get it to some degree but at the same time it's also protecting people who are not good and should not be in charge of mentoring young athletes yeah, yeah and I mean, you, oh, go ahead sorry, you go ahead erica I was just going to say, I do appreciate you bringing up the hotline in respect to the Anaheim Ducks and even other places. We have heard reports that players are feeling empowered. I will be honest, my bias is coming from there being similar mechanisms after what Akeem Aliou reported and went through. And um, But I, I do honor that, and I appreciate you bringing that up. But, Jay, I actually was going to ping you in here because uh, Rachel <laughs> on some other things that you have mentioned already and drop some names already. Like they're unfortunately, um, and I know you say this a lot, like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to remix it here, but like, is, is there any organization that is quote unquote safe or that should not be using a fine tooth comb in light of what we see happening in Chicago right now. And again, um, to what Rachel brought up in Anaheim. And so, you know, where, where do we even go? Like it, it, how do we get to a point where we're not just being reactive to a hotline? What needs to happen throughout the league and including the front office so that the culture starts to shift? Yeah, I think just to kind of finish, um, finish Rachel's thought like the 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 biggest thing that comes to mind for me is Mike Babcock who was fired uh for the 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 Leafs not achieving uh what the the roster could achieve I think he was he was fired because the team was not performing as well as they could it subsequently came out that he had been um 
bullying, I guess, is is probably the the best word for it. There was an instance where he, uh, you know, I don't know if this is 100% confirmed or not. He dragged uh, Mitch Marner into his office, made him rank the players in order of, like, who was trying the best and who wasn't trying, and then used that to... Uh, he basically said, oh, well, Mitch says that you're not trying hard enough. You know, this really kind of manipulative um, behavior. It came out that, um, oh, who was it? was it? I think it was Franz Nielsen came out and said, yeah, he's he's exactly the same as he was 10 years ago. You know, he hasn't changed. Uh, subsequently, you know, he uh, has not coached in the NHL since. He was on TV briefly with... Uh, Sportsnet, I think, uh, and he is now coaching college hockey in Canada. Because if there, I know if you know, there's someone that I want in charge of a bunch of impressionable teenagers and young adults. It's it's Mike Babcock, and then just recently there was a uh, you know a piece in in the the mainstream media that talked about how he's changed and he's better and he should get a second chance in the NHL and. You know, even within that article, he was like, I still don't think I did anything wrong, but if I did, I'll apologize. And I'm like, okay, well, A, not an apology. B, fantastic way of showing that you have learned exactly zero from this whole situation, you know? Like, and that's kind of, that's, that's, that is how hockey culture works. It is, you do something wrong, you disappear for a couple of years, you come back and everyone's like, wow, he's so different, you know? Um, but then you look at like, and this is just sexual abuse and assault. If we just look at this one problem, you don't even look at, you know, the misogyny, the homophobia, the racism. 20 years ago, Sheldon Kennedy went through the exact same thing and it is still happening today. You look at, um, even within USA Hockey, the guy that they had to replace, Stan Bowman, uh, the uh, GM of the Minnesota Wild, Bill Guerin, was was under investigation for cover-up of a different sexual assault case, um, which it has since come out that um, it was just for a little bit a little bit of, of context for the listeners who might not um, want to be as familiar with this case. Uh, it was with the Wilkes Barre Grand Penguins in. 2018, I believe, uh, a the head coach at the time, Clark Donatelli, uh, assaulted his assistant coach's wife. And then when the assistant coach brought this to uh, Bill Guerin, who was the assistant GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins at the time, I believe, um, he basically was like, okay, well, don't say anything. We'll just get rid of him, but don't tell anyone. And, you know, uh, years later, that's, that's kind of come out and... Uh, the assistant coach, Jared Scaldi, has, and his wife have filed a lawsuit, uh, which was settled, I believe, by the Penguins. They basically accused uh, Garen, Lemieux, uh, Ron Burkle of covering this up, and they were suing. And then uh, as recently as a couple of days ago, I think, it was announced that uh, Clark Donatelli has been uh, indicted on four counts of sexual, sexual assault. You know, and that, that is just within the past six months, these cases have all come out. Then you look at, you know, Bob Murray, you look at Akeem Aliouk, you look at, you know, um, like I could go on and on. I was talking to a friend about this the other day and like, um, and I think I've, I've said this before in kind of our conversations, it's, there's a, there's a, a an urge in sports to be like, well, my team would never do that. There's an urge, especially with this Blackhawks case, to be like, well, of course it's the Blackhawks. Look at the logo. Look at how they handled Patrick Kane in 2015. There's, I understand this urge to be like, well, obviously the Blackhawks mishandled this, but my team would never. And then you look at, you know, Bill Guerin, Mike Babcock, uh, Bill Peters, Joel Quenville, Kevin Sheveldayoff, Bob Murray. That's what, seven NHL teams now? And like, it's not like your team would your team will your team probably has this is not a chicago blackhawks problem this is a problem with the sport the sport is set up and again this is kind of going back to what Anne said earlier this sport this culture is designed to 
keep the status quo in place. It is designed to, oh, well, if you if you speak out, if you say anything, if you criticize, you're a bad teammate. Kyle Beach never played in the NHL. He was labeled, he had attitude issues. He was bad in the locker room. He didn't have what it took. How much of that is a direct result of what he went through in 2010 you know and i know i I have kind of talked around the the question that you asked here erica but like what what needs to what needs to change is everything you know we talk about in in the in the greater kind of like the society we talk about you know uh police reform and we talk about how do you reform something that is so completely rotten from the top to the bottom and I, I don't know. And it's the same question. How do you fix the NHL when the NHL's built from top to bottom to perpetuate and to uh, silence this kind of abuse? And again, that's not even going into racism, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I'm actually really glad you said that, Jay, because I was... Um attended an event for the 1619 project, which critical race theory, cover your ears. Podcast for another day. Um, Anyway. Okay. Moving on. Um, Anyway. So in that conversation, um, Nicole Hannah Jones, who is the, she is one of the authors and kind of curated a lot of the uh, 1619 project was just dealing with slavery in particularly, um, of descendants of African or of Africans that were brought to the United States through the system of slavery. And what she said, which I think is exactly Jay, what you just said is, um, you know, that essentially white Americans have to decide that they want a different future. And so the NHL has to decide that it wants a different future. And so, Anne, you hit on this before, and I want to come back to you before getting Rachel, you to chime in on this as well. You heard Jay talk about how do we fix a system that was built to be this broken and uh, was built to perpetuate certain people at the top. We know who's at the top right now in the National Hockey League. We know that Gary Bettman has said in as many words that the Chicago Blackhawks should have known. And if they didn't, that's essentially on them, whilst also saying what the NHL didn't know. So how are we holding the Chicago Blackhawks responsible in one way, but not the National Hockey League in another? And I, I mean, I really would love to get into this conversation. And what does that mean for leadership, again, at the front office of the National Hockey League? Yeah, I think it's a, a vain attempt by leadership to sort of pass this off as a, you know, like Jay said, this one team did this. But if you really peel back the layers and you look at something, you look at this, um, the system of the NHL as it is right now, and sexual predators need two things to perpetuate a crime. They need the trust of their peers and those who hold them accountable, and they need power and authority over others. And when you have a leadership structure that is very insular, when you are giving leadership to people, maybe based on time and connections, and perhaps not on character and merit, you know, Rachel said, this is a very small pool of leadership that they consistently draw from. Um, And I think that when you put that in place as leadership, you lose um, accountability from those who report to you. And when you have a situation where there aren't people, there aren't boots on the ground, you know, for instance, in this Kyle Beach situation, these black aces who were there, they really didn't fall under the coach of the Blackhawks necessarily. They didn't have somebody who came up with them and was with them all the time. And so you have this opportunity and you have someone who holds their dreams in their hands. You know, Aldrich is, you know, claimed to have told Kyle Beach, I have your future in my hands. When you have such an insular situation, it is absolutely somewhere where problems like this are going to thrive. The way to change it, first of all, you have to change the leadership. Gary Bettman has handled this like a lawyer, not like a leader. And the NHL needs leadership. The NHL also needs a different leadership 
we don't need to substitute in somebody who has um, been in this small group of people. Let's talk about getting some different faces and experiences in the rooms where things are being decided um, because you want hockey, you know, and, and I choke a little bit when I say this, you want hockey to be for everyone, but it is not led by everyone, you know, and until it is okay, led Anna, by everyone, <laughs> <laughs> but until it is led by everyone, it will not be for everyone. Um, and I agree with you. This has to be a change that is demanded from the bottom up with fans from the top down, a leadership change and kind of in the middle here are us, you know, kind of the media. And our responsibility, I think, is that we have got to be relentless with accountability, um, relentless with accountability and calling these things out. And the other thing that I think we need to do and we need to be careful of is there are voices in the league right now that need amplified. Um, there are voices in the league right now that are calling for a change in culture, that want to talk differently about racism, about homophobia, about mental health, about sexual assault. There are those voices, but they're a lot of times cast aside, brushed over, not amplified. And, and we have to find them and we have to amplify those voices because you have to change the language and the conversation. Um, and, and here's the thing. There are some people in the NHL who don't think it's a problem. This is a one-off problem. It's not. It's a cultural problem. And we have to not be afraid that this is going to turn the sport that, that we love. I love hockey. You know, I came to hockey much later in life. Um, and I want to bring people into hockey the way that it operates now. I have to be mindful. You know, I have a friend who is a sexual assault survivor and I had this moment where I had to think to myself, is it okay to invite her to a hockey game? Now she will love the experience and she will love the sport, but when she hears stories like this, what will that do? You know, and, and hockey needs to be better than that. And it can be better than that, but it has to change. Wow. I mean, if my mic wasn't attached to a stand, it would be dropped. On the ground, <laughs> on the I floor. mean, done, just done. Um, and you said nothing but a word right there, including talking very openly and passionately about how much you love this sport. And I think mm -hmm. we all have our origin stories, right? I also came to hockey later in life um, and came through, quite honestly, black women. Like, you know, like you couldn't have told me when I was going to my first handful of hockey games that black women in particular weren't in hockey because that's all that I saw. Yes. But what I've learned, and I've actually had Katie Strang on Locked on Kraken. I wrote a story about, at the time, a New York Rangers rookie and an unfortunate Experience that he had. I wrote that story and that was already common knowledge. It had already been addressed by the organization, but by simply mentioning that incident, 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 excuse me, with Keandre Miller, where the N word was typed into a, a chat that uh, was um, uh, like a zoom call that was sponsored by the New York Rangers by simply mentioning that I had so many questions that were asked of my reporting, of um, whom I spoke to. Uh, did they really say that? That was just for something that the Rangers already knew about. I can't imagine having to report on things like Katie has, like what uh, Kyle Beach has disclosed. Um, and so, Rachel, I want to remix a little bit of where Anne left us as far as her passion and her love for hockey and, and questioning if she can bring people in, knowing some of their, quite honestly, triggers. Um, but let's think about it this way. We're all hosts of a hockey podcast. Has any of what has happened changed how you approach talking about hockey on your hockey podcast, Rachel? I think so. And I think I want to kind of merge what Anne was just talking about what and what you were just talking about, Erica. And, you know, I think the thing that has been 
a real touchstone for me is when Black Girl Hockey Club came up with the Get Uncomfortable pledge. And it's something I use in my daily life. I've got to be honest. When I read things that, you know, make me take a step back or make me, you know, feel, you know, a certain way in my whiteness, you know, I think that it, it's just been so helpful for me to to be able to use that to sit in being uncomfortable for a moment when something threatens, you know, the sanctity of this sport that I do love in the same way. And and I'm somebody that loved the sport from in the womb. And I've been, you know, a hockey fan for I want to over 40 years now, let's say. And so, you know, I've seen the sport grow and change over the years, but also stay the same in a lot of ways. And the way that circles back to your question, Erica, is that now that I'm on the media side of things and reporting on the sport, I think the media has a certain responsibility now to report on these things and have it not just be a handful of reporters doing this kind of difficult work and that a lot of the stick to sports crowd in the fan base who could be a very powerful weapon in influencing owners to create change to change the leadership at the top of the NHL they haven't been getting the education or the information on what's going on behind the surface enough in a way that they have been comfortable in this sport. And I include myself in that day. I have been part of that day who has been comfortable in this sport. But the more that I learn and the more that we dig into these things and get good reporting and not fall victim to the media access culture that takes place in sports of you have to say nice things about the team and you have to say nice things about the people. Otherwise you don't get the access to the interviews. You don't get access for your quotes. Therefore you can't get clicks. And you know, it's this vicious cycle that goes from the media to the organization, to the leadership, to the fans. And that's what needs to get broken down. And this, and so it absolutely, I, I sit in that uncomfortableness every time one of these incidents comes up and I want to talk about it because I want to make sure that I can show that I am not afraid to talk about these things and that if we are all changing our attitudes and unafraid to talk about these things, that changes the culture. And Jay, same to you or for you. I mean, have you uh, given any thought to how any of what we've talked about today um, or what has been reported regarding the Chicago Blackhawks specifically has impacted how you enjoy hockey personally and then also what you bring to your podcast? Um, I think yeah, yes and no, because just like, like as, a, as a, a little bit of a kind of context for how I came to hockey, I came to hockey in 2013, uh, just after the Blackhawks had won their Stanley Cup. That was kind of, you know, they were the the gateway team, I guess. People who didn't grow up with hockey, I was like, oh, this seems, they seem like a fun team to follow, you know. Um, they won their second cup in 2015. I was like, this is, or their third cup in five years or whatever it was. I was like, you know, this is, this is the life. This is, this is true living as far as hockey fans go. And then two months later, Patrick Kane is accused of uh, raping someone uh, at, at his home in Buffalo, and that was kind of my my moment of oh, hockey, hockey's not okay. Like hockey is not a, a good place. And so since then, I've kind of been. Um, and I actually recently went back and found something that I wrote at the time of this that talked about with you know my relationship with hockey and how disappointed I was and how. The, this again, sport is set up to to fail survivors and people that speak out. Um, and so I don't think like this specific case has necessarily changed how I report on hockey. I think because it's always been at the the front of my mind with this sport. And I think that's something that like the the people here on this on this roundtable can kind of really relate to, you know, we are women of color we are women we are members of the lgbt uh community we have always been able to see this in a way that i think the the like cis heterosexual white men haven't yeah i mean that's real 
that is very real. And again, it goes back to when I was talking about what, you know, Nicole Hannah Jones was saying, it's going to take hockey deciding that hockey wants to change. But, and I know you, you done drop the mic on us once, but I wanted to give you an opportunity just to circle back regarding specifically the locked on predators podcast. You talked a little bit about your fandom, but have you thought about, um, or have you already made adjustments to how you cover hockey because of the conversation that we're having? Yeah, I think there is, um, there's a moment where you feel sort of the dissonance between, you know, it's my job to come on and talk analytics and, and players and breakdowns. And I'm, and I need to do it in a way that is engaging and entertaining, but I also feel the need to, you know, it's difficult because this is something that I love, but it is broken and it is, and it has to, you know, the only thing that hockey can do right now is continue the way it is or change. And I want so desperately for this sport to change. And I see there are, there are people in the sport who want it to change and there are great opportunities for growth. And I struggle to find the balance between just losing my ever loving beep um, when things like this continue, when we see these patterns again and again and, and, you know, watching the NHL leadership kind of stonewall in this situation when here is your opportunity and they are missing it. Um, and so it is a struggle. I'll be, I'll be real honest with you. It is a struggle for me sometimes to know that I want, you know, I, my heart for this job that I have is to invite people into hockey because somebody did that for me and I fell in love with it. And, and I want it to be a sport where everybody can come and enjoy it. But I, again, it's this hard place of you got, you know, I've got to say some hard truths and I've got to check myself and I have to make sure that I'm not I have to make sure I'm doing what's best for everybody when it comes to hockey. And sometimes that's really hard personally, because honestly, I think there is still this culture of you get access when you're nice, you get access when you don't rock the boat. And here's mm. the thing. There are nice, good stories. And I love to tell those, but not to the exclusion of speaking some truth. And, and it's, it's not always easy every day. Oof, another ain't none but a word there. And listen, you know, Jay, you you got into it a little. I don't know all the ways that all of us identify, but I can speak for myself as the, I think it's safe to say the most melanated person on this particular round table <laughs> that, um, and I want to be careful how I say this too, because, you know, respectfully, I'm not fitting to give out gold stars where they're not deserved. But what I will say is that, and again, I cannot relate to being sexually abused. I'm very thankful that I have never had that be part of my story. I can relate to things that I that are out of my control making me a target for someone else and for someone else feeling that they can use that power. And what I can relate to is without the support without people who don't look like me believing me that my time, not just in hockey, but in a lot of other spaces would have been short-lived for any number of reasons. And so the reason that I want to say that to all of you in particular is because showing up, all of us showing up for those, whether we directly identify the way they do or not is critical, is critical for making the sport better. Because, um, again, thinking about whether it was the story that I talked about that I wrote or circumstances that I've had, you know, the onus is always on me or it feels as though the onus is always on me or someone who has um, come forward about harm that has been perpetuated in the hockey community. Once people know about our story, then we have to continue to tell it and we have to prove that this is still a harmful place instead of people who have power, people who have privilege in hockey, 
stepping into the light and taking the reins at the appropriate times to make sure that people don't have stories to tell. So I just want to offer that to you all and to anyone else who's listening, certainly to our producer, the man behind the curtain, John Woodley, who's helping us out here. But for Ann Kimmel from Locked on Predators, Jay Foster from Locked on Blue Jackets, Rachel Donner from Locked on Flyers, and of course, me, Erica Lindsay Ayala from Locked on Kraken. We want to thank you for listening to this very difficult uh, uncomfortable, right, Rachel, at times conversation, but absolutely necessary conversation. And we hope that this is just one of several more that we can bring to you as part of the Locked On NHL podcast network and, of course, the greater Locked On podcast network. Thank you. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.